Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Let us pray. Eternal God, merciful and mighty, you sent Jesus Christ to heal broken lives. You sent him that we might have the life abundant. You sent him that we might know you. So give us, O Lord, a reverence for the truth, a desire both to think and to speak truly on the matters before us. Open our hearts to the message you would give us this night, through Christ our Lord. Amen. say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive only ourselves. 
But the same gospel that convicts us of our sins reminds us as well that God, who is merciful and just, has promised to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let us confess our sin, first together in unison, and then in silence as we make more candid our confession before our God who has made us, who knows us, and who loves us. Let us pray. Eternal God, whose covenant with us is never broken, we confess that we fail to fulfill your will. Though you have bound yourself to us, we will not bind ourselves to you. In Jesus Christ, you serve us freely, but we refuse your love and withhold ourselves from others. We do not love you fully or love one another as you command. In your mercy, forgive and cleanse us. Lead us once again to your table and unite us to Christ, who is the bread of life and the vine from which we grow in grace. Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ even prays for us. So, beloved, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first reading of scripture this evening comes to us from the Psalter, the 116th Psalm, selected verses. Listen for the word of God to us this night. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of God's people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Our second reading of scripture comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And finally now, from the Gospel according to John, the 13th chapter, the first 32 verses. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already decided that Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, would betray Jesus. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from supper 
took off his outer robe, tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had reclined again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, slaves are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than those who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen, but is to fulfill, fulfill Scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly, I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining close to his heart. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus, of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he, hand, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Do quickly, what you are going to do. Now no one knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give, him, give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out. It was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What is betrayal? What does Jesus mean by this word? What do we mean by this word? It comes up on nights such as this when we pause for a moment to consider the events that lead us to Easter. The lectionary tried to leave the betrayal out, but I put it back in. There is a moment in Lent when we are coming the closest to Easter, where at least for the preacher, but I suspect for all of most, if not all of us, when we are growing weary of continuing to talk about sin and betrayal and pain and death. Weary or not, though, we have met to talk about exactly these things. A number of years ago, a very good friend of mine went to a series of services in the church that stood adjacent to the college where she was studying. This particular church had services that were legendary for their music, their liturgy, and their preaching. Knowing the reputation for outstandingly moving worship that the church enjoyed, she decided that one year she would stay at school over the first weekend of Easter break and attend the services so that she might experience them for herself. Understanding how profound these services were reputed to be, I asked her later about the experience. Well, she said the music was lovely and the services were deeply contemplative. But she paused for a moment, and then she added, But they never got around to talking about the crucifixion. They never mentioned that he died. So when Easter rolled around, it just didn't seem like that big a deal that he was alive. And then she sagely concluded, there's just no resurrection if there hasn't first been a death. In last Sunday's benediction, I attempted in very rough terms to sketch out what the theological significance of the death of Christ was if we consider it from the vantage point of Trinitarian theology, if we consider it from the vantage point of who God is and how God defines God's self, we considered what an affront it was to the very nature of God to see violence done to the Son. And we remember that violence done to the Son is violence done to the very nature and being of God. That is the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity. But before we come to the suffering of Jesus and all of that means for us and for our faith, we must first come to grips with the betrayal. Each gospel narrative has some version of what happened. John, from whom we read this morning, this evening, excuse me, places this brief story about Jesus' prediction of his betrayal right here after the washing of the disciples' feet and right before Peter's vow not to deny Jesus. We don't know much about Judas. The Bible doesn't tell us very much at all. We don't know his motives. John tells us he held a common purse. That's a small hint. Was he motivated entirely by money? Perhaps John seems to suggest it. But the point is we don't know much. Judas has been a cipher for a millennia, a blank slate on which we could sketch the outline of a betrayer. Jesus' words to him are, Hew, what you have to do, do it quickly. Now ours is not 
to create a psychological profile of Jesus' mindset in the moment. We can't. The Bible does not open that possibility for us. We don't have enough information. Ours is not to construct a case for Judas' betrayal. Again, we can't. Aside from Jesus, John's cryptic remark about the purse, we know almost nothing. But ours is to note that it is the betrayal that leads to the crucifixion. And I wonder if John left that slate so blank in order that we might see it more as a mirror than a slate. I wonder if John was so spare in his description in order to leave us wondering about betrayal. I question if John wants us to see our own sin leading to the cross. The three synoptic gospels seem to indicate that Jesus' last supper was a Passover meal. The pieces are all in place to indicate that it is such. But John leaves a little mystery there. John does not. John tells us that the Passover is coming. John makes a clear literary assertion that Jesus himself is the Lamb of God, beginning at the very beginning of the Gospel. That is what is said of Jesus. It would be very easy to drop off into one of two extremes when we consider Jesus passion and his crucifixion. The first extreme would be to underestimate the problem of sin, both of the sin of the world and of our own sin, our individual sin, our personal sin. That would be to say, well, Judas is who betrayed Christ. I didn't. I wasn't even there. Moreover, I'm a decent person. I tried to live life ethically. I need Jesus philosophically to teach me how to live, but otherwise, I'm good. But betrayal is not just Judas's problem. It is all of our problems. Sin is real. It is the path of separation from God. It is the act of cutting ourselves off from the ground of our being. And we must reckon with it. The second extreme would be to overestimate sin. That's sort of the opposite of a philosophical need for Jesus. This extreme takes the I am a worm line of Calvinist thinking far too seriously. And please don't misunderstand me. Sin is real. And sin is evil. And we cannot overcome sin on our own. But there is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. We can neither pretend that Jesus' death is not for us by assuming the betrayal of what God created us to be lies with others, nor can we pretend Jesus' death is not enough for us by not taking the freedom from sin given to us in Christ. These twin dangers lie like Scylla and Charybdis across the path of what Jesus has called us to do. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus commanded his disciples to remember him, just as we will tonight when we gather at table. In John, Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another, just as we are called to serve Christ by exhibiting Christ's love to the world. Betrayal is a tough word. It is ugly. The words associated with it are ugly. Traitor. Treachery. We don't want to talk about them. There's an old story, I don't know if it's true, that Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, he of the power of positive thinking fame, and for many years the pastor of the Marble Collegiate Church in New York, 
would comb through the scripture readings for any given Sunday and the bulletin for the worship service to see if there was any reference to sin. And if there was, it was promptly dropped. That's probably apocryphal. But it points to a certain aversion to responsibility that can plague the church. We don't want to hear about sin or betrayal. It's all negative thought. But if we can't acknowledge sin, then forgiveness is meaningless. If we can't acknowledge there was a betrayal, then redemption rings hollow. The invitation to consider betrayal, our betrayal of God's peaceable design for God's creation, which we call in shorthand sin, is not an invitation to consider just how bad we are. It is an invitation to consider to what lengths God has gone to bring us to where we need to be. So as we are invited to think on sin in the hours between now and Easter, bear this in mind. We consider sin always from the vantage point of God's grace. God has already done everything that needed to be done about our sin in Jesus Christ. As we remember, as Jesus commanded us, we remember in order that we might act as God has called us to act, in love. Indeed, Calvin, often portrayed as that dour prophet of God's judgment, wrongly, I think, believed that the very act of worship should begin always with the assurance of pardon so that every word that follows thereafter, every remembrance of our failures and our achievements, is cast in the light of Christ's saving acts and God's gracious mercy. It is with that assurance that we are invited to the table of Jesus Christ. We are invited, as we are commanded, to remember what Jesus has done. And we are invited in order that we might be strengthened through this act of remembrance to fulfill the command that we are to love. So come, dear friends, to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
confidence of God's beloved, let us confess the faith of the church. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table that Christ has set for us, let us unite our hearts and our minds in prayer for the world around us. Let us pray. Holy God, what can we give to the one who has given us all? You are the source of all life, all joy, all hope. You are the foundation of all being. You are the beginning and the end. You alone are eternal. And yet with all of these things being true, even still, you gave us your very own self. So every word we say is one offered as a word of gratitude. Your greatest desire is that all creation should live in harmony and redemption. And so it is that we pray for the world that you have made and that you love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the nations of the world, we pray for leaders who will govern with wisdom and compassion. God, our own leaders to exercise leadership that builds our common life together. May those elected to govern do so wisely and well, with an eye for what unites us rather than what will excite a small group to the exclusion of others. Guide our Congress and President, our judges and courts, May we find in them a concern for grace and goodness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Likewise, we pray for our own city and our own neighborhoods. We know that there are many who are lonely. We pray that you would help to find ways to ease, ease isolation. We know that there are many for whom home is not a safe place. And we pray that you will grant safety and calm fears. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We know that there are many who do not feel secure in their lives from mental and emotional illness, from economic hardship, from violence and gun violence in particular. Help us to know the ways we might spread comfort and wholeness Heal those who are wounded, and make peace for those whose spirits are unquiet. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the church, for those whom you have called to be a light to the world. So the church, may the church universal, the Presbyterian church, and first church be communities of deep and abiding grace. Fill our spirits that we might bear with the poor and the marginalized, with all who feel far away. May we always be the repairers of the breach that you have called us to be. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Because these and all of our prayers we offer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we continue with his sake for the words, with the words that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Beloved, as we come to this table, we come not as those without hope, but as those who know the hope of the resurrection, which is why even as we contemplate the fact of human sin, this remains nonetheless the joyful feast of the Lord, a place where people will come from east and west to sit at table with our risen Savior, who is even now the unseen host. He calls all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens to come to him and to receive rest. So come, dear friends, to this joyful feast. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. You bring forth bread from the earth and create the fruit of the vine. You made us in your image and freed us from the bonds of slavery. You claimed us as your people and made covenant to be our God. You fed us with manna in the wilderness and brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. When we forgot you and our faith was weak, you spoke through prophets, calling us to turn again to your ways. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with the celestial choirs and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. God of majesty and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, whom you sent to deliver us from the bondage of death and slavery to sin. In humility he descends from your heights to kneel in obedience to love's commands. He who is boundless takes on the bondage of our sin. He who is free takes our place in death's prison. In the deserts of our wanderings, he sustains us, giving us his body as manna for our weariness. The cup of suffering which he drank has become for us the cup of salvation. In his death, he ransomed us from death's dominion. In his resurrection, he opened the way to eternal life. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us, and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Lead us, O God, by the power of your Spirit, to live as love commands, bound to Christ. Set us free for joyful obedience and glad service. As Jesus gave his life for ours, help us to live our lives for others with humility and persistent courage, 
Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when, with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your table in glory. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit in the Holy Church, now and forever. Amen. Scripture says that on the night of his arrest, our Lord took bread, and when he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Let us pray together once more. Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your embrace. Having thus fed us at Christ's table, send us to be his disciples. Strengthen us to remember and to love. For we ask it in the name of our crucified and risen Lord. Amen.